Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 538, The Live Golf Experience. Chillians, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. Frank joins those with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, things things are going pretty well. I've recovered from my mixed weekend, some disappointments, some fun St. Patrick's Day, a disappointing Sunday with the FA Cup result with Blackburn, but yeah, no, things are going pretty well. A fun St. Patrick's Day? Yeah, I had a good St. Patrick's night out, had a, went to a couple of bars, uh, kind of usual usual sorts of places, but I had a nice, fairly tame, nothing too wild. Although I did meet up with a former colleague of mine. Okay, uh, I'll throw this category. This is like a Vasilis esque anecdote, I guess. It won't maybe be quite as satisfying to the listeners. But we were out, and I was just—I hadn't seen him. I hadn't seen him in person since before the pandemic. I've spoken to him, we've like texted and stuff since then, but this is the first time seeing him in person for three years, basically. And we were, t- we, I was kind of catching up on how things are going, on how, you know, major life events and stuff like that. And he's been in a relationship. He's been married as long as I've known him. And so I said, you know, like, how's, how's married life? And he told me, yeah, it's going pretty well. We've, we've switched though. We're, um, we're now in a kind of like semi-open relationship, and there's this uh, couple that we swap with. And I was like, okay. Wow. I was like, how does it, how does this work? I was like, do you do you all get together in the same place? Is it like a foursome? Is there a contract? Yeah. Is there is there an agreement? <laughs> is there a foursome? Is it is it like one of you go and you like swap beds for the night? Kind of you know like. She goes and stays with the guy, and the the other wife comes and stays with yeah. you for an evening. Is it like the, is it like TLC wife swap? Where exactly. You the whole weekend, and you have to like clean the laundry and stuff. You know, I was intrigued by the logistics, and he was like, "Well, we've never done the full swap thing." It's like so far, it's just been sometimes he comes over, and then we have threesomes with him. And I was like, "Okay." And then I was like, is that, is that it then in your open relationship? And he was like, oh, no, there is also uh, another guy who my, <laughs> my wife my, my wife brings over sometimes when she's been out for nights. And then same thing. We all have some fun together. And then he, he walked away to order another drink. It was me and another guy sitting there. And, I, and, the other guy and it was just you and the wife. <laughs> <laughs> and we just kind of made some eye contact. And we were like, at what point do we tell him? This isn't really couple swapping or an open relationship. This is just his wife potentially cheating on him, but also just wanting to bring other people into their relationship. Well, I mean, it is an open relationship. It's just a one-sided open yeah, door. But one and two, there's no swapping. <laughs> no, the swapping was definitely not happening. But also, I mean, he was telling the anecdote, like one of them with one of the guys, the way it had started was that his wife had been out for a night and brought this guy back to their, like drunkenly brought the guy back to their house. He was asleep in bed. He got out of bed annoyed with like the noise. And then when he came out, she then sort of, sort of 
instigated the the group aspect. It was like, I, I think if you'd never woken up, your wife would have just cheated on you. <laughs> like this is But it's an open relationship. She's allowed to. No, I guess that's true. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always weird when it's the open relationship, but one of only Eddie, only... get out of the nineteenth century, Eddie. It's true, I know. My mind I'm I've got such an antiquated view of the of relationships. But to me it's more just the weird I mean, I've had plenty of friends who've had open relationships before. And I, I do find there always seems to be an imbalance. Like one of them is really open and then the other one's more relationship. Yeah, that was my... And then there was the lows of Blackburn in the FA Cup yesterday. Oh, which... That hurt. It did. Woke up early to watch it and everything. I mean, they put in a good performance. Um, it, was, it was an entertaining match, which I was just kind of pleased, you know, the... Once you slip down to the championship, you have so few moments when the club is kind of on a, a bigger stage, when there'll be yeah. more eyeballs watching and just in general people Act, think. Actual announcers who, who are like meaningful announcers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> commentating yeah. on, the, on the match. Yeah. And, you know, for a lot of, again, for a lot of people I know, that would, well, that would have been the first Blackburn match that they may have watched in several years. And it's nice to then put in a, in a good performance and to deliver a kind of entertaining style of football and for two thirds. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it was a, it was a good performance up until the 80th minute basically, but in some respects that might be the ideal outcome because I mean, Sheffield United later on were drawn against Manchester city. So that's just a guaranteed loss <laughs> in the FA cup semifinal. And so for, Take one match off of. But you're at Wembley, right? That's the plus size, right? Yeah, and made it to Wembley. And Blackburn have never been to the new Wembley. They are one of, I think it's six clubs in the football league to have yet to have made an appearance at the new Wembley. Which, but there's one better way to get there. Yeah, the playoff (laughs) final is the ideal way. I mean, look, if you told me that was going to, if that was, if that had been the semi-final, and the FA Cup final was at stake, I would take the trip to Wembley and potential humiliation in a final because also then you tell yourself in a one-off match anything could happen you know like Wigan beat Manchester City in the FA Cup like like two red cards in the 70th minute exactly (laughs) but the the prospect of okay can you have the upset against Manchester City probably not but let's just say everything went perfectly on the day but and then you probably have to go again against Manchester United in all likelihood, maybe Brighton, Brighton are quite capable of beating United, but probably against Manchester United, you know, the odds of them beating both of those teams in consecutive matches, slim to none. So just not having the match and, and being able to focus exclusively on the league campaign and, you know, having one less match to play, it's, it's probably for the best. And I think ultimately from the team's perspective, Sheffield United are one of the better teams in the championship. That was a kind of playoff environment in a sense. You know, that is the situation they'll face if they do make the playoffs. Sheffield United probably won't be in them because I expect they'll finish in the top two. But they can take some heart from sort of, in a sense, having faced a test that is similar to what they'll have to go through in hopefully a a few weeks' time. Yeah, it was... uh... It was a little disappointing to watch, you know, once once they once they went up and I thought 
this could be it. Yeah, I mean, if you I had, look, I had my ticket half booked. Yeah, ready to I go. Mean, I, I, look, I did. I was in the mindset when they were two one up. When it was kind of fifteen minutes to go, I was thinking about I'm going to have to plan this trip. I'm going to have to get to London. Like, uh, you know, I'm sure tickets will be relatively easy to come by. So that wasn't a major concern. But you know, I was, and and, and part of me was thinking to myself it's going to be a downer to go through all of that and then watch them lose five nil to Manchester city. Like that was, <laughs> which I said to you in the time, and this is obviously before the draw had been made, but, but that would, that, that was in the back of my mind of like, this is, yeah. there's a, there's going to be a lot of pain that goes into kind of organizing this to then potentially watch a complete humiliation. But, you know, I think, as I said, hopefully I get to watch them at Wembley this season in a playoff final and and then hopefully they they also win that but yeah. we'll see yeah and then so it's you know like you said for the FA Cup it's going to be uh City versus Sheffield and Brighton versus Manchester United after Fulham went down two men on uh <laughs> a handball <laughs> you only usually lose one but then when well the, technically when the teammate gets so fucking pissed off you can't take it you lose a second <laughs> i mean technically <laughs> And and the and the manager was sent off as well. Yeah, yeah. the manager so was sent off too. They imploded, and within the space of two minutes, then had gone from being one nil up to two one down. I mean, the they things really went wrong for them very very quickly. But and inexcusable from Mitrovic, that type of behavior. I'm glad he was sent off because I think there you could find other examples of people kind of manhandling referees. And, and really behaving inappropriately. Because thinking they're not going to get one just because one was just given. Or just in so general. They can be a little overly aggressive. Just in general, people, the standard of treatment towards referees. You know, I, I, it bothers me that players openly swear at referees all the time. If I were a referee, I'd send you off. The moment you told me to fuck off if I, after I awarded a free kick or didn't award a free kick, you'd be sent off. And the players I was refereeing would learn pretty quickly that Hewitt law I mean it's just it's <laughs> technically a law you know you're not supposed to just swear at the referee but we've just accepted at this point you know the two just in general we we have referees who speak to, you know talk to the players and refer to them by their first names that bothers me and then they just can say pretty much whatever they want to the referees and it goes totally unpunished and I just I don't like it because it does set a bad example then for how younger people behave but again, it seems like a little bit of an old man rant, but honestly, it, it does bother me. And since we last spoke, there was also the the Champions League draw, which I guess while well, we were discussing draws quickly in, in European football. So that was last Friday, the draws for the, the Champions League, Europa League, yep. and, and Europa Conference. Obviously... No, not too many shocks in the in any of those competitions, aside from from Arsenal going out against Sporting, to one of what will end up probably being one of the goals of the season, uh, the the equalizer for Sporting, a pretty incredible attempt from just inside the Arsenal half, but some. It's a mixed Champions League draw for me. It's it's like a draw that's delivered a couple of very good ties. And then a couple and of ties couple of that like, just don't interest me really at all. So, this, is this Europa? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So, I mean, City Bayern. 
I think they're classic. The, I think they're the two best teams in Europe. So it's a little bit of a shame to have them facing off against each other in the quarterfinals. Real Madrid, Chelsea, you can get kind of interested in just because in yeah. recent seasons in Europe they've been good. They had a very Our good, category. yeah, they had a very good European tie against each other in in recent seasons. But you're talking about Real Madrid, who lost yesterday to Barcelona and are 12, 12 points behind Barcelona, so they're not great. Chelsea aren't great, so it looks better on paper than it probably is in in reality. Benfica Inter Milan. Yeah, you could stick that in the wow. Europa. You could stick that in the Europa League and I wouldn't be <laughs> You could stick that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And AC Milan Napoli, like the all Italian tie. It's it's not that exciting. Hey, at least at least I can follow my rule pretty exclusively there of never betting on an Italian and just avoid that match completely. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to avoid half of the Champions League then, but I mean, and, and again, it, it's an interesting, like, it's tough because Napoli are, have been incredible so far this season, but I'm still waiting. I don't think there are that many good teams in Syria, and they've yet to really play face great teams in the Champions League. So I'm just sort of waiting to see when they get truly tested. And it doesn't seem like this will be... They, they probably won't be truly tested until the final because the other downside is the draw then pits the winner of the City-Bayern Munich match against the winner of Real Madrid-Chelsea. So that's uh, one half of the, of the draw that's incredibly tough. And then on the other half, you know, you might have Napoli playing Inter Milan or Benfica. And again, you'll get... There's a very realistic possibility of Napoli being in the Champions League final and having run away with Syria and yet still feeling like they haven't proven themselves. So I almost feel sorry for them because it means unless they win the Champions League, people are going to poke holes in what they achieved this season. Whereas if they'd been drawn against even Real Madrid in this round and been able to beat Real Madrid, they could at least point to that as a kind of statement of their quality. But I, you'd expect they should beat AC Milan. They're miles better than the league. Why wouldn't they beat them in two legs? <laughs> yeah. But I, it's interesting because it's a good, you know, three Italian teams, two English clubs, or only one German and one uh, and Spanish. And one Spanish, club. yeah. I mean, the, the the having three Italian teams is the is the real stunner. It's surprising. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a real, and I don't think we'll see that again anytime soon. So, for people trying to say this is some, and there are people out there, and I hate being one of those people who's saying there's some people saying, and you're you know like pointing to specific people. It's just like big straw man argument. But there are people out there trying to argue that. This is this just kind of shows that the Serie A is closing the gap on the Premier League. I I don't think so. I think these are just some favorable draws. Yeah, some, some under one-offs. Yeah, some underperformances, and next season we'll probably go back to seeing, you know, a couple Spanish teams, a couple English teams, Bayern Munich, of course, and then maybe one, maybe Napoli or Inter. Well, Eddie, I guess. Since we're sticking on European football, I have, you know, last week I gave you a little bit of a 
trivia, a little quiz on some of the top scorers. And I, I felt bad because as a, as a hockey player, I'm a man of the assist. I prefer to set up the play than to score the goal. I like to be behind the scenes. So a stat came out yesterday that there are only five players in the top leagues, in the top five leagues. So pretty much the ones we just talked about that have 10 goals and 10 assists this season. So a little bit of an all around player. Only one hails from the Premier League. Do you want to guess who that player is? Oh, um, hmm. Saka? Wow. Nice guess. Yep. Saka has 12 goals, 10 assists. He's the only player in the Premier League to go 10 and 10 so far this year. I've been doing well on my guesses recently. I've been, yeah, very good. I've been nailing it. Who are, who are the other, are the other four recognizable names? Uh, yeah. They're all good players. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, we, it's gonna be tough to not be a good player. <laughs> yeah. No. It's 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 yeah. It is a kind of a decent way of refining their players. The most recognizable ones would be Messi and Neymar are both on there. Yeah, which is understandable. I mean, there's some players who would just never make that list, like Holland, never will. Yeah. <laughs> I always like that's the one of those fascinating statistics from Mario Balotelli, who. In his, I think he was maybe at City for four seasons. In that time, he only had one assist. And the only assist he ever had was the uh, Aguero last-minute winner against QPR to win the league. <laughs> so like, that's the only assist he ever had during his, his stint at City, which is kind of remarkable. But... How do... So this is something I, I don't know. Like, in hockey, if you have a shot and there's a rebound and someone scores off the rebound, you get the assist. Yeah, is no. that the same or no? No, you have to not. you have to like it has make to be a pass. Right? It has to be a pass. There's a little and bit an of pass, right? yeah. There's inconsistencies. Not an important pass. That's the thing. You can roll a ball. Also, to... you can be last touch. Like you can you can give it and they can go the entire distance and score. No, I think there's some proximity element to it. But for example, okay. you could just play a sideways three yard pass to someone who then knocks it in from 35 yards out and you've got okay. an assist and you know it's yeah. not like you've you haven't created a goal scoring opportunity and so there's a little bit i've never totally understood um exactly when it is an assist and when it isn't from like official statistical basis but the basis i'm not even sure necessarily it might be opta who do it i'm, I'm not really sure who there's a little bit to me sometimes you know, like in the NBA, it's like the home team scorer who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always say that, and I say that as someone who grew up in Salt Lake City, when John Stockton, I think John Stockton could like breathe on the ball, and they were giving him an assist. But there's sometimes I do think you get favored a little bit. Like I do think Messi probably gets an assist a bit more easily than some other players as to when they think, oh yeah, that was he played a crucial role in that goal. But I guess spend enough time. There on my weekend and and some European football, you you had the more eventful weekend as you completely sold your soul and attended <laughs> attended a live golf event on Friday. How how was the experience? Yeah, so the live golf tour in Tucson. It was fun. 
it was not very crowded. I went on, for, so it's many differences, right, from the PGA Tour. The first being, which is a three-day tournament, no cuts. Uh, so we went the first day, Friday. It was not very crowded. And from what I had heard, they had pretty undersold tickets in, from what they were expecting. Now, this could just be because it's Tucson and you're not in a huge environment where other matches were in, what, London, Miami. You know, you're at All much that, bigger cities. That seems to be the case across the board everywhere they've been. I guess for some comparison, you recently attended the Champions Tour event or the yes, Senior which Tour. which is like the Senior Golf Tour, yes. What was the attendance like comparing those two golf events? Good comparison because I also went on a Friday of that tournament as well. And I think that's a three-day tournament as well for the seniors. I think they only do three. More people were attending the senior golf okay. tour. That's not a good sign. Uh, actually, wait, no. It's tough because in the areas where, like, I, I want to say VIP, but sections where you paid a premium to be, like, under a canopy or in a tent or overlooking a hole – I feel like there were probably more people at the senior tour, but on the, on the course, there was a lot more people at the live. So I would say overall more people at the live, like at the senior tour, if you weren't in one of those areas, I mean, there's like no one just on like the 14th watching yeah. someone tee off. Whereas here, I mean, there was people lining most of the holes that I walked by. Okay. So, but okay. So are we saying within 10% though? The yeah, overall, close. the overall attendance. Let, let, let me put it this way: If you had told me that like a multiple major champion golfer was playing, and this were the amount of people that were watching, I would have been shocked. Okay, and if you were one of those golfers, you think this is a disappointing experience? Like, if you... no, I think they're having a great time. The vibe I got was like, this is fucking awesome. Look, look at look at what we're doing here. We're getting paid millions of dollars. And there's literally like it's it's so different than the PJ because like one that the like the attire and just their general like oh, they wear shorts. Yeah. <laughs> no, like I know the one guy had on like but the one guy had on like the uh like classic guy millennial like short athletic shorts with the high black socks and like some funky shoes on you know like whatever they want to wear except the only thing that sucks is a lot of them wear their team polo i think and the teams are just so dorky and the polos for the teams are so dorky so so Um, they don't all wear the team polos i don't think so because i was unless uh, unless maybe they just have like different varieties of them which it could be yeah um, cause, but it didn't look like everyone was wearing them, but maybe they were. And there was just like a few different ones for each team. But I mean, they have like speaker, like, so the one par five in the middle of the par five on the rough, there's just like a massive speaker playing music, like playing like ACDC and stuff like that. Not for the attendees for like, it's like a player's thing, you know, like it's pointed into the fairway, not, not away from the fairway. So just that kind of stuff was pretty weird. I have to say. I don't know why DeChambeau is doing it because I feel the fans of the Live Golf Tour are going to be a little more like rowdy, barstooly type of people. And the two holes I saw DeChambeau play, he was just getting torn apart. Like, oh, really? I heard Brooksy 7,000 times. It's like 
it was like it was as if instead of people doing like the wave, they were just doing <laughs> Brooksy across the fans. Like it was rela- like I heard so many people be like, you know, the protein shake, you look like shit, blah, 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 like just Jesus. ripping. And it's not that many people. So you can hear everyone because yeah. <laughs> he's cut weight, right? Like he's kind of given up on, a, yeah. on his, his, bulk, yeah. his bulking phase is gone. So he's he's significantly smaller now than he was at one point. Were they was security stepping in to stop people from shouting those things? No. Okay. No. It is surprising. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it is and it isn't. Part of me feels like if you're a live golf supporter, you shouldn't be doing that because this is it's kind of. But I feel like see, I think the different. I think you feel like you should do that because this is like the the like cool tour, you know, yeah. like anything goes on this tour. <laughs> like I could be a huge dick face. You know? like, <laughs> that's my right as a fan. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, there is a certain element of that. But part of me feels like they should be, you know, like it's so much us versus the PGA that yeah. you think they'd be kind of getting behind all of those players. But I think the other risk is you're still going to have people turning up for live golf events who aren't really live golf fans. They're just people like yeah. you where it's like, okay, there's a live golf event in my area. I'll go and check this out. And then if you're a bit more of a douche and you're doing that, you're then deciding to heckle plays players yeah. who've, who've made the switch. Um, yeah. So I, and it was also weird for, for Bryson because the pairing was him, Kepka and Dustin Johnson were playing together. Like, and you know, that's going to happen, you know? So like you're forced now to be playing with the one person you probably don't want to play with. And maybe now it's become a big farce. Like maybe they're best friends. <laughs> well, <laughs> who knows? With a shotgun start, I guess. They cho- That was the cool thing. They choose that, I suppose. Because I guess. I don't know who chooses that. Because I feel like they're not in pairings. I feel like you can kind of, I think they can. It's threesomes. Yeah, but I feel like they can sort of organize themselves then, right? So. See, I think, I think Liv does it. I don't know. I have to look this up because it was very back heavy with the players. So like the really good players started on like one, two, three, and four. So it would be like a natural round for them versus like when we first showed up, I mean, I, I messaged you. I was like, I don't even know who these guys' names are. Like I was, as I was looking them up as they were coming through and it was like, oh, this guy just, uh, used to be playing for Arizona State and their season ended last week. So now he's on the live tour, you know, and it was a lot of that early on. And then as you went forward, you got more and more of the recognizable players, which was great because I showed up a little late because I didn't feel like being there for seven hours. Um, So I kind of like the shotgun start. It's kind of a cool idea. It's very non-traditional, right? But I think it's kind of it's kind of neat where on the last day, there's like four holes left and anyone, you know, like there's not someone setting like a clubhouse score. And then you have a guy who's got like nine holes left still, who's obviously going to win. Like it kind of makes it a little more interesting. Um, On the first day, it's not as exciting because it's the first day, but on the last day I I have to, because the tournament ended in a four way playoff. So I'm assuming that like with one hole to go, that must've been pretty exciting seeing, you know, three or four guys with a shot to make a playoff all going on at the same time. Yeah, and I guess from a spectator standpoint, there's benefits too, right? Because one of the downers of showing up to a professional golf event and being there early is 
there's the temptation to like, oh, should I go and get a good spot on the ninth green? But then I am 90 minutes away from anyone even making it here. So I'm going to watch a big screen or like watch on my phone. And but I don't want to be one of those people sprinting along fairways to get to get from one place to another. So, you know, every golf event I've attended in the past, you you have that compromise. Like I'm I know this is a really good spot and it will pay off two hours from now. But I am (laughs) I am literally just sitting in a field for a while until some professional golfers make their way here. I mean, as a golfer, I'm sure you hate it. I, I mean, I couldn't imagine Tiger Woods ever wanting to play like that. I mean, half of what t- made Tiger Woods so dominant on that last day is just every other golfer knowing that Tiger Woods is on still three holes behind them and he's not going to screw up. Yeah. You know, that that whole factor plays you, you, into you it. You could but. also say even from the golf course design perspective, then they've put some thought into how you structure your round of like getting challenged at certain moments and yeah. the idea of creating a difficult 18 or, you know, sort of where you position those tough holes and the shotgun start kind of skews that. And yeah. it makes you think differently as a golfer, I guess yes. you have to know where your holes are that you can strike and not strike a little yeah. quicker, I guess. Yeah. And I guess you could, and you could kind of, you can spin that as a positive or a negative. Because you could add whether some tactics in then if you're way behind, you try and start on some easier holes to try to put some scoreboard pressure on someone. I was like, well, you got three birdies in a row, but that is the section of the course you would expect the birdies to come on. And but I don't know. I'm I, I don't have too strong of an opinion on it, but I think yeah. I prefer the I the kind of more old fashioned purist approach. I you know, I think why I think I like it though is a knock on live because I think it makes the live golf tour more exciting because there isn't this high end level of talent, right? Where it's like you can make a tour that has a few decent players, maybe that might like be on, you know, be on the final pairing because they're better. But at the end of the day, there's just a lot of not so great players. So it makes it more interesting that anyone could have a chance running into the last few holes. Um, the teams aspect of it, I thought was dumb when they proposed it as like one of the selling points of the, the league. And I still think it's the dumbest thing ever. The names are stupid. The, like the, the symbols are stupid. I don't like, I think they care in the sense that they make an extra million dollars or 3 million split three ways. Yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, I don't think they give an absolute shit about it. Like it's weird. And I don't know who knows the teams and it's, there was like two or three people that where we were, were like, Oh man, the aces are looking rough today. Four aces. aces, Yeah. Well, the four aces like ran away with it last season, didn't they? But yeah, I mean, you, you so you didn't get a feeling the fireballs ended up winning at the weekend. You didn't didn't yeah. throw your if you had to pick. I, I agree with you on the logos. The logos to me look like the like when you're playing fantasy baseball or like a fantasy sport, and there's like the logo creator on ESPN yeah. or Yahoo. Hundred percent is what it looks like, and it's basically that's a great call. It's just taking you sort of like three minutes in a very basic logo creation software and going like, well, we start with yeah. an S, so that's going to be our logo basically. If yeah. I had to, I mean, there's 12 teams now, so there's a lot of team names, but yeah, the Fireballs won at the weekend. The Four Aces were second. Ironheads were third. 
stinger fourth, ripper fifth, high. So dorky. It's like the dorkiest names. <laughs> high flyers, but not but spelled H Y F L Y E R S. So they're cool because yeah. they because of how they spelt it. How'd the range goats end up? Oh, they they finished eighth, just behind Torque. The Crushers. Torque, yeah, that was another good one. The, cru- the Crushers in ninth, Smash in 10th, Cliques in 11th, and Majestics in 12th. Majest- I mean, and the huge score discrepancy. I mean, like the Fireballs won, they, they were 25 under, and the Majestics were four under. Like, how do you have. Wow. Like, that's a huge difference in score across a number of players. You would have thought they would be more tightly grouped. And I, I, mean, I guess I like the aspect of that it keeps every player wanting to play their absolute best because even if you're nine strokes off a lead with four holes to go, if you can get back one or two strokes, you might get your team to win. And that's I guess that's kind of pretty. That's kind of cool. It's, it's a, again, it works better in a league where the players aren't so great. It gives you another thing to like kind of root for and watch for and make it a little more fun but but at the same time right yes in principle you're right but if you played for the majestics and you were i mean they they were 15 shots they finished 15 shots behind third place so there was no point in the final round where any of them would have been thinking (laughs) like this matters and you could just make the same it's the same argument you could make in the pga of like Yes, as a spectator, you maybe don't appreciate the guy going from 12th to 8th, but he does because he just made an extra $80,000. So mm-hmm. these guys standing over their putts on the 17th and 18th, it's very easy as a spectator to be dismissive of like, well, all that means is he went from 4th to 3rd. Who really cares? He didn't win, but he cares because they give him a much bigger check. And it's you know exactly <laughs> the same argument, but... Yeah, I don't know. I'll be interested to see. Obviously, the PGA in the end has kind of copied Liv with some of the, they've introduced those new formats, which yeah. disappoints me, I have to say. It, it, part of it, did, I'm disappointed by the fact that you fought so hard to kind of maintain the integrity of, kind of conventional golf, and now they've adopted some, there's some no-cut tournaments, and you know they do seem to be kind of rich getting richer in golf to a certain degree and and just tougher for smaller players to compete. I did see an interview with John Rahm the other day and we've, you know, we've discussed in the past Sean McVay and his ability to recall plays. I've been a little bit dismissive of just how impressive I think that is or unimpressive in my case. John Rahm claims that he can remember basically every golf shot he's hit from the last eight or nine years. Wow. And they put him to and the not t- like Fitzpatrick where he's written it down. No, no. And they put him to the test, but they didn't really put the, the podcast he was on. I think missed the opportunity. The winning putt for the masters. Well, <laughs> Do this, you remember what it was. This, this is what, this has always been my criticism of the, when they, people put Sean McVay to the test too, is they pick out kind of significant plays. Like I want to hear him recall, like I want to hear Sean McVay tell me an incomplete. I've pass. done this for you though. I've showed you times where he's like made like a random one in like the third quarter of a game against the Lions. They're random, but they'll be we picked up a first down. I want to hear it was first and ten midway through the second, 
at seven seven and incomplete pass. That's the one I want to hear, and I want him to break down the exact play for that. Then I'll then I'll give more credence to it. In a, to a then you'll say he's a robot. <laughs> <laughs> the John Rom one is the same. They they only really tested him over the last. They tested him from like the last event he was in, and to me, it doesn't stun me that someone could remember their their most recent round. Pretty much, like I feel like if I play a round of golf, you could ask me four days later. Like, do you remember how, like what happened on the seventh hole? And I could probably tell you within sort of reasonable. It the yardage element of it was pretty good. Like he, you know, he's not just telling you, "Oh yeah, it was five shots." Like he is telling you, like I, I was 127 out, and I, you know, took my pitching wedge and drew it in, and you know, like he's he's kind of really running through the whole mind the thought process and stuff. But then, yeah, I don't know. It, it, uh, it, it both impressed me, but then I, I just don't know if I were a professional golfer. I, I feel like, cause I saw a bit done with Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy and Spieth and a couple of others there. They asked them on the spot to recall some of the most significant shots of their career. And yeah, it it's unsurprising that they could do it pretty well, but like Rory McIlroy was still like, Oh, I was 128 yards out on this and I hit it within, you know, four feet of the hole. They told him he was wrong because he was 127 yards out. That seemed, <laughs> that seemed like a little bit too overly critical, but I, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to get some golfers on and, and I want to put them, I want to, I want, we'll say if we can get John Rahm on, I'm going to pick like a, a random second round from a tournament six years ago and say like what was your third shot on the seventh hole and i'm expecting to be blown away yeah maybe we can get the range goats out get some bubba watson and uh tyler gooch (laughs) there's no way bubba watson could recall it i'll say that now (laughs) there's some golfers like i'm sure like bryson dechambeau i bet can because he's just such a like his yeah that approach he has to like how he's made himself better and stuff and the sort of scientific data backed approach to everything. I'm sure he's remembering the yardage on every shot he's ever hit, but yeah, Bubba Watson, the guy who's never taken a golf lesson in his life. I very much doubt he's able to, <laughs> to recall a shot from six years ago. And, and I think just overall it was, they definitely are pushing the more fun aspect of it. So they had a little, like a huge interactive thing when you first went in where you could do like a little chipping contest uh, into the pool. You could do like that, the golf simulator. They had the longest putt challenge where they had like a, like a 60 or 70 yard putt. They had like pickleball. You could go play pickleball if you wanted to. Which, was I don't it? know why you would go to watch the live <laughs> golf tour and just go play pickleball. Instead. Was it like, free? Oh, fuck this shit. I'm gonna play pickleball. Yeah. Well, that was free. I mean, I guess you could argue. Maybe that's an insider tip for people. If you're in the Tucson area and you want to get a game of pickleball, that's... well, you need a ticket to get in. Yeah, but what is it? Twenty bucks for the cheapest ticket? I think so, something like that. So twenty dollars gets you unlimited pickleball for the day. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, and then food and drinks was okay. Um, a beer was ten bucks, so average standard I think, for a sporting event. Yeah. A mixed drink was like 15. And again, this is where it just bothers me. It feels like they're missing a trick. 
they money doesn't matter to them. Why aren't they no. just making everything? And yeah, you have to, as we said on the previous episode, you you have that balance of if it seems cheap, then that might put some people yeah. off. You could have the super expensive section still, but just why wouldn't for the everything? Like why couldn't if you're not in the sort of VIP luxury section, I'd have beers at like a dollar. And just have, you know, let's just, and then people would walk away and be like, I'm not a huge fan of Live, but that was a lot of fun. That was the cheapest day out I've had in a long time. Yeah. And you get to, so the other thing too is after the match, or I guess after the day, uh, all the players come back and you can get pictures and, and things with them. Like they have to come back and uh, take pictures while they're like, because they can go back to the range. And if they go back to the range, they have to spend time, I think. Uh, like before they go taking pictures with fans and things did like you, that. Did so you have a picture of... taken with anyone? No, we just took a picture of all of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, I remember. The one did, of the... see, did see Greg Norman drive by. Okay, thrilling. Uh, you, you did say that part of your ticket included some live swag pack. Oh, this is the best. <laughs> what was in the swag pack? It was the best. So when we got there, that's all of us kept saying. It's like, what, what, like we didn't get swag. Like we went into the, they called it the birdie shack and you know, get swag. They said that the swag was the cloth bracelet they gave you that said live golf on it, that had a chip on it that they would scan for the number of drinks you were allowed to have. And that was the swag they gave us. Wow. <laughs> That is, yeah. that's scandalous, which, actually. Which then you couldn't even get off. <laughs> yeah. You got to cut it you, off. You got to cut it off, so it's garbage at that point. That's that's actually genuinely scandalous. Unless unless we missed something, because there was like eight of us, and all of us were like, wait, this came with swag. And then someone said, like, no, I think the bracelet's swag. And I was like, Oh, okay, no. so you didn't ask anyone working there? I, I think they said they asked, but maybe okay. they didn't. Okay. Uh, I was taking secondhand info, so I don't know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, either way, if they're not making the putting the swag kind of front and center when you've been promised, no. you shouldn't have to awkwardly search it out. If you yeah. have been, if that's part of the advertising, the listed benefits. Yeah. That's, uh, that's semi scandalous to kind of have yeah. that included in the, in the package and then not have it there. We did make the, the only mistake we made was we went to the birdie shack which is overlooking this the, the last par three um and there's uh like a bar there with a bunch of little tables you can sit and 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 drink and watch no food though and you only got three drinks included after that you had to pay for 35 or 40 bucks more we could have gotten the overlooking the 17th hole which i think was a par five and that had food and all you could drink. Oh yeah, you yeah, that's a mistake. I think initially the the feeling was it's probably gonna be more energy on like the the par three because maybe they're like people are gonna think it's like waste management or something like that. So it'll be a little more fun. But then at the end of the day, it was actually pretty empty. Yeah. And then the 17th hole looked just as crowded, but people had like plates of food. We're like, you <laughs> and, motherfuckers. And unlimited, <laughs> an unlimited drink. Yeah, here I am eating a fucking hot dog. Because that was the other crappy thing is like the concessions and food was terrible. Yeah. It was like bottom of the barrel baseball concession stand food. 
Well, you were the first one of us to sell your soul, so. Yeah. And now it's sold. So now, you know, I'm a, I've signed up. I'm a, I'm a lifetime member. They're going to send me emails. You know, yeah. I get to vote on the team names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, while well, you're an inaugural attendee, right, of the yeah. live live experience. I, I have to say, I think it's I think it's a five year commitment they've made here. I don't know how successful this is going to be. <laughs> will you go again? Yeah, I will definitely go next year because I want to do the upgrade to the better section and see how that is. Well, they've got you. They've got you. Yeah. But if if it doesn't improve, like, I, I mean, it, like the senior tour was way more fun. But way this, more is, fun. this is where they've got you. This is this is live golf marketing has got you wrapped around their finger because next year they'll have like one higher it's like well for thirty dollars more we could have had this <laughs> seven years from now you'll be spending like nineteen thousand dollars a day to attend lift golf for one extra beer and a view of the 18th and the third we'll see i guess the other big sporting news why well, we can make mention of the fact that ireland beat england in rugby on saturday and won the grand slam uh, don't have to go into that in too much detail, but March Madness, a something obviously in in past years we've had former co co host Sam pick his bracket by randomly going through team names. We didn't have that <laughs> this year, but he might have done better than anyone with any degree of expertise because it has been a a tournament that has been full of upsets and surprises so far. Would he have picked a team with Dick in the name of oh. Fairleigh Dickinson, 16th oh, ranked seed? He'd have them winning the tournament. <laughs> there's no doubt. Yeah, so uh, no perfect brackets left. And, and in fact, after f- Friday, which was, I think, the second day, or no, after the first day, there was only like, Point zero zero two, um, because Arizona had lost, who was a two seed, and then that was followed up by Fairleigh Dickinson, the sixteen seed, uh, beating Purdue, which then pretty much, I mean, literally busted the remaining perfect brackets. So, another year of no perfect brackets, and I am glad that this year was the first year I did not spend money on any brackets because I got to the point where I said, "Why am I even doing this?" Because I'd rather, if I'm going to have money on it, I'd rather have money on individual games that there I can then root for that game in particular versus having like eight games going on and trying to root for different permutations of how they would come if this team won or that team lost and this team won. Um, so I avoided the trap of wasting all of my money on on brackets. And I think it paid off because I most likely would have had Arizona going pretty far. Yeah, I didn't. I like you. This is the first time in a long time that I've had no brackets, and for, for similar reasons. And also, I just find I don't follow March Madness closely enough to kind of be tracking the bracket as it progresses. So I'm kind of like looking at the app. You know, there's I'm watching the odd game, and obviously, as it gets later in the tournament, I'm playing paying closer attention. But on the first couple of days of the tournament, I'm just kind of monitoring, like, oh, I have that that seven seed. Down by 10, that's not good. You know, that's, and it just seems like a completely wasted experience. But yeah, there is no chance that I would have picked an even remotely successful bracket 
looking at everything that's happened. I mean, I guess for you, maybe you would have had Penn State, I assume, winning in the first round. So that would have helped yeah. you out a little bit. And they were playing well too. So I don't think I don't think that first round was a shock to that many people because they had gone they had made it to the Big Ten championship. So No, but that was the first time Penn State had won a game in March Madness since I think you were in college. Yeah. So, so. Wow, since the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh there's been some I have watched the end of a few games. There's been a few, I mean, as per usual really, but there's been some some close, exciting finishes. So that's always a little bit of fun. And the bar I was in on the and the weekend there was the games were on. So you're kind of trying to keep a little bit of an eye on it and see if all oh, that game's like a two point game with a minute to go. But yeah, I, I I don't know if I'll ever do a March Madness bracket again. <laughs> it's got to be well. Speaking of game of games, though, the one that I um, watched that just blew my mind was I think it was the first day. It was Virginia. We're up oh, to when, when the player just lobbed the ball to midcourt, meaning like yeah, yeah, crazy. up two with what three seconds left, and tries like a hail mary pass to his player. Yeah. And it gets intercepted, and they turn around and shoot the game-winning three to end the game and lose. Like, I don't think you let that player into the locker room. So I think you just tell him just go home. Like, don't even come <laughs> in this locker room, bro. <laughs> I haven't heard him interviewed, so maybe well, I might be wrong on this. The only thing I thought in the moment to give him the biggest, biggest benefit of the doubt is that he thought there was less time. That he thought it was kind of running down to maybe a second left or whatever. And in which case, sometimes that is the smart move. Of if to you just throw it that far, and yeah, even if they get it, they're they not going to have time to turn yeah. around and take a shot. But he did that way too soon. <laughs> like He did that when they, <laughs> they had time to set themselves up for a wide open shot. And yeah, that was just an embarrassing way to lose. In what the likely outcome would have been probably a jump ball if he just held on to it. And I don't, I'm assuming that Virginia was going to lose possession based on the action that he took because that weird college rule where jump balls just alternate possessions or they were going to foul him. Like neither of those were catastrophic. The jump ball is not great, but it, yeah, I mean, that's, you've put yourself on the pantheon of all time dumbest March Madness plays, which that's tough. Like that's going to live with you. Like genuinely, I think that's the tough thing. Most of these players are obviously not going to go on to play in the NBA. Most of them will not go on to play professional basketball. The thing I think you can hope the most for is that you are just in your job five, six, seven years from now in real estate. And someone's like, oh, where'd you go to college? And he gets to say like, oh, I was, uh, I went to the University of Virginia. Like I was actually on the basketball team. Like, oh, no way. Like, when do you graduate? And you'll say, like, <laughs> uh, 2024. Like, oh, you must have been on that team that where that, like, crazy play where that one kid just lobbed the ball up and just gave away possession and they lost. And you're like, yeah, that was me. Like, that's that's going to haunt you forever. Yeah, I mean, so seven seconds left, he turned the ball over. So it was not as if there was one one no. or two seconds. There was seven seconds. And they made when they made the three, there was still two seconds left. <laughs> so that's like how much time they still had. Uh, and what's crazy too is that was another example 
of the new thing they do now, especially in college, is when a team is up by four or more points or yeah, like four or more, instead of letting the other team potentially shoot a three, they'll just instantly foul them and give, give them the two. And that's what they did. So they were actually up, uh, they were up four and then fouled the guy. He made both three throws. Then they were up two and then, uh, then they turned it over on the next play. So that was a five point swing in the matter of three seconds. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I don't like it. Well, one, I, I think it's kind of like cheating the rules, which yeah. is annoying. I hate when, when like sports find loopholes kind of to do these types of things. Yeah. And two, it just takes away. It just makes the game boring. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things they talk about. It's where cricket gets it right, right? You have the spirit of the game kind of element that comes into it. And that's clearly against the spirit of the game. It should be three. If it's an intentional foul under two minutes, it should be three shots. Yeah. Which would, even then, people might still do it because they might, you know, just think like, well, there's, if we foul the right guy, you know, we, there's still a good chance they miss the free throws. But I, I get it in situations like NBA teams do it a decent amount in situations where it's like they're up three and there's like two seconds left. So then you can make the argument of like, okay, this is the smartest way for us to defend. Although you run the risk that you foul if they take a three. Cause, and that always, I think, is the funny. Like there's that little bit of kind of gamesmanship going on. You see the guy who then like tries to jack up a three because he's expecting the foul to come. He's not fouled and he's just like throwing the ball away with a terrible attempt. But yeah, I don't think – no one wants to watch a game where the final – two minutes are literally just teams swapping free throws. Like that's, that's, you may as well just say, Hey, if a March madness game is within three points with two minutes to go, we just go to like a penalty shootout style free throw competition. Like, and this team gets to start with like three free throws up first to 10. I would, I would enjoy that experience more. Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, Arizona not not doing so well for for uh for my side here and they're the first team in NCAA tournament history to ever lose to a 15 seed twice. That's the Duke of Curse. It's the Duke of Curse <laughs> that's a sports program in in Well, in, the first one was in 1993, so I don't think I can take credit for that one. No, but the second one you definitely can. But... And I think I saw a good one. They're like one of the first teams to lose to like an 11 seed, 12 seed, 13 seed, 14 seed, and 15 seed. <laughs> so not much to talk on the NFL front. I mean, everyone, I think, is still just waiting for the Aaron Rodgers deal to drop. Uh, but, of course, being Aaron Rodgers, there's issues. <laughs> uh, he's come out and said a bunch of stupid things I don't think we've discussed that I don't really even feel like talking about with his whole uh, when he went into his dark chamber thing and trying to you know he's just he just loves to hear himself talk at this point and i hope the jets know what they're getting themselves into and i don't think they do because they're the jets but this just looks like a nightmare waiting to happen (laughs) to me i i saw kirk cousins interviewed i think it was on a barstool podcast which oh boy (laughs) but he came across super well he was talking about when he left uh it might actually have been on pardon my take which you know, one of the biggest podcasts, certainly sports podcasts out there. But he was talking about when he left Washington and how 
he kind of wanted to stay in Washington, but he also wanted to test free agency. So he could see like his ideal scenario was know what the market value was and stay in Washington. But, and he told Washington that, and then they went out and traded for Alex Smith. And he then said to them, like, what's, like, why'd you do that? I was considering staying. And they're like, well, we, we couldn't wait for you. We couldn't wait for you and then have you decide to go somewhere else. And then we have no quarterback. And to his credit, he was like, that makes sense. Like, I understood it. Like, that, I get why they did that. And to me, there was, there's just such a maturity there in understanding that, well, yeah, they also have to put their plans in place. And this isn't just all about you. And that they have a future as a team once you are gone. Versus the Aaron Rodgers approach where he is just constantly aggrieved by every little thing that a team does. And if they aren't doing absolutely everything that he wants them to do, that they're yeah. ins- they're mistreating him and insulting him. And it just it becomes so tiresome to listen to. And yet having to listen to him break down his 48 hours in a dark hole, saying that he went into it expecting to retire and then came out of it deciding that he wanted to keep playing. Yeah. I mean, you're just so self-involved at a certain moment in time yeah. and you're trying to spin it off as being you know like enlightened yeah and it's just it's so annoying yeah so i guess some of the major signings uh since the last time we talked so the lions signed uh cj gardner johnson the cowboys traded for brandon cooks wasn't a bad deal for them um patriots get mike gusecki that's a pretty big one. Bears signing Orlando Brown Jr., so one of the best tackles at a pretty reduced rate, which this was a pretty good story. I don't know if you had seen, but I think he's going to make $16 million per year. And last year, the Chiefs had offered him $23 million a year, and he had turned it down, saying he wanted to wait because he thought he could get more money and end up losing about a good $7 million a year by waiting. Um, Miles Sanders going to the Panthers. So pretty much the Eagles have disassembled yeah. their team uh, a lot. I mean, that yeah. we just named two of their best players there in, in, in Gardner Johnson and Miles Sanders, both gone. Um, they did sign Fletcher Cox back, but that's about one of the only signings they have. And the Patriots getting Gasecki and Juju Smith-Schuster. So trying to upgrade their offense with uh, second-grade talent. That always works well. <laughs> and I, Bill Belichick and Juju Smith-Schuster seem like a pairing great, that will get, great. Get, really get along. And I guess the one we didn't talk about is we we spent a little time talking about the Saints and how they might win the crappiest division. Well, the Bucks, they said, whoa, 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 wait a second. We're upgrading our QB situation. We're bringing in the one and only Baker Mayfield to come play for us. Yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, we discussed, we mentioned him briefly, right, when I said there was a possibility that he would go to the 49ers. I'm happier with Sam Darnold than I would be with <laughs> Baker Mayfield. And in a sense from the Buccaneers, like I think we know who Baker Mayfield is now. And I don't think he's as bad as he's been. Hey, he's bad. a state form guy. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, I think he's had some really bad performances over the last eight progressive. Months. Sorry. I forget which one is his shoulder injury obviously did not help that in that final season with the Browns, but still we kind of know who he is. 
I would have, if I'd been the Bucks, I would have rather signed Sam Darnold because I'm not entirely certain that we know exactly who he is yet. Oh, I think, come on, come <laughs> on. We know who Sam Darnold is. He's I don't a think loser. We, I don't think we do. I think there's, the, the, the issue I have here is I'm going to say, I feel like Sam Darnold has the possibility of turning into a pretty good quarterback in the right scenario. I guess the qualifier there is, I don't think the Buccaneers is the right scenario now for any quarterback. So this is, this is a little bit of the issue is like, I don't think, and this is why I'm going to then feel sorry for Baker Mayfield is because I think it's still going to be just a disaster in, in Tampa Bay. And it's going to make him look even worse because now he is the guy following in the footsteps of Tom Brady and things are going to go bad really, really quickly. Well, I don't think they've gone well for him anywhere. So I think this is going to be more of this. I think it's, honestly going to be almost exactly how it was in the Browns where people think he's a better QB than he is. And he's going to try probably harder than he should to do things that he can't. And they're just going to be a, <laughs> a below 500 team. But I think that's part of Baker Mayfield's problem. I think if he realized the type of quarterback he, he can be in the NFL, he'd be a decent quarterback, but he still thinks he's playing at Oklahoma against, you know, subpar defensive teams teams that he can run 50 points up on you're not going to do that in the nfl yeah it's tough though as an undersized quarterback like he 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 really needs to be almost a game manager based on his talent level but you don't get undersized game managers right like when you're small you have to be explosive either with your feet why can't he be like russell wilson I mean, old Russell Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think he can be like Russell Wilson. Why think, can't he be like Drew Brees? Well, Drew Brees was, ex- I mean, Drew Brees was an exceptional talent. Like, I don't think that's. Wasn't Baker you know, the number one draft pick? <laughs> yeah, but he wasn't. Yeah. No, but I mean, why can't you be like a Hall of Fame quarterback? I think, you know, that's, that's like when I was, I, my one appearance in goal and when I was in high school. In, on the, um, and the goalkeeping coach told me, like, it's easy. All you have to do is stop a ball from going in the net. Like, I, you know, it's like, why can't you just be like that Hall of Fame quarterback? There's my coaching <laughs> advice for you. You see what Drew Brees does is try and do a little bit more of that and try to do a, little, a lot less of what you have been doing. The only other thing I have, Eddie, is um, Creed Three came out, and I've been really wanting to go back to the movies. There just haven't been many movies worth going back to to watch. Um, but I have never seen any of the other Creeds before. So I spent this weekend watching Creed 1 and Creed 2. I have to say, great movies. Really enjoyed them. Yeah, I've never seen any of the Creed movies. I am Great sports movies. I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm a, I like Michael B. Jordan, so that was a plus. Um, yeah. And you get a little less of Sylvester Stallone. Oh, I mean, see, he's I'm still st- one of the main main actors, but I, I, I'm standing in solidarity with Sly. You know the fact that he kind of. But he's on board for with one and two. Yeah, just not three. Yeah, and, well, off. I mean, I think everyone forgets. You know, there was like Rocky five, six, and seven <laughs> that people just seem to like ignore existed that he really, really pushed for that were some of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> no, but the, here's the thing: is like. 
he's in a unique position in terms of how possessive he can feel over the Rocky franchise, right? Like this isn't just he's not Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator. Like he he's not just the face of the franchise. It was his creation. He had to, you know, work hard. He, he like sold his dog, didn't he, to like help fund Rocky in the first place or some weird story that never really made sense to me because I don't know. It's not like you're selling a $300,000 dog. Like, I don't know how that's making the difference. I mean, I guess he probably couldn't afford to to have the dog with the real issue. But I, I can understand taking it away from him is, is not really fair. Like, that should remain his in, in kind of in perpetuity. But I get it. I'm sure it's good. I mean, all, the Rocky franchise was good boxing lends itself to being a good sporting movie like it's hard to name like every high production value boxing movie is is a good sports movie yeah there i think i'm sure there are actually a few really bad ones but you're right that a lot of good sports movies are boxing movies like all the big the high profile boxing movies i can think of you obviously have cinderella man cinderella man classic yeah. You know, um, like the- what's the one with Christian Bale and Amy Adams? And uh, why well, can't I think of the main fighter? Is it not? I mean, well, Million Dollar Baby is a, is a good movie. Uh, with Christian Bale. The Fighter. There we go. Okay. With Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Mickey Ward, the Mickey Ward one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just think. I mean, and fighting movies in general, it's obviously spun off now more into like the whole combat sports overall. You get the the kind of MMA movies. It's just easy. It's an easier storyline, right? Because it's 1v1. It's very clear. You don't really have to understand the sport too much to kind of appreciate who's winning or losing. There's the physical impact of it, which kind of adds to the drama. It, it makes sense. It's It's an easier story to tell than to tell a really good football movie. But yeah, I, I will. I, I will boycott Creed three. <laughs> well, you should watch Creed one. Creed one was very good. I'll also say, and I know I'm in a small, small minority here. I find Michael B. Jordan to be immensely annoying. So, I think he's a good actor. He's a good actor, and I, I I've enjoyed things that he's been in. He gets way too much credit. People be like, I love The Wire. Like, he was a small character in The Wire for a brief period of time. Like, It's not as if Michael B. Jordan was the reason you liked The, the Wire. He if was, the next sentence you say was he was not that good in Friday Night Lights, no. I'm going to fucking end this podcast <laughs> right now. <laughs> he was good in Friday Night Lights. But he, You're again, <laughs> he doesn't crack the top 20 characters for me in Friday Night Lights. What? The top 20? I don't think they even highlighted 20 players in the whole show. Well, I'm not just players. Like, Coach Taylor is obviously above him. Oh, my God. This is blasphemy. I'm going to run through very quickly. This is going to be characters who I think I enjoyed more than Michael B. Jordan's character. 
if you say Buddy Garrity, I'm also going to end this fucking podcast. (laughs) If you're going to pro-Buddy Garrity me here over Michael B. Jordan. So I'm going to do this kind of in no particular order because... Oh, I, I can't. I, if, if if I get voodoo tatum here, I'm so, going to be so pissed. <laughs> so I'll, so I'm going to put <laughs> Coach Taylor ahead and he'd be okay. number, he'd be number one. I'll put Tammy Taylor, his wife, also ahead. Oh, very annoying as a character. Slightly terribly annoying. annoying. I'll put Tim Riggins clearly ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Landry clearly ahead. Landry Clark? You're just Jesse Plemons over yeah. Michael B. Jordan? Yeah. Matt Saracen, clearly ahead. So I'm at, Smash Williams is ahead. Okay. Uh, we're going to thin here. I <laughs> See, I would have probably put Buddy Garrity ahead, but I can't now. Uh, uh, Lila. Has to be ahead. Oh, she's the worst. <laughs> Lila is the, the worst. Tyra, I'm putting ahead. Tyra, I can respect. She did what she wants. Lila <laughs> hooked up with her handicapped boyfriend's best friend a week after being in the hospital. <laughs> he was done. He'd moved on to wheelchair rugby. He was done. He had barely gotten out of his coma, and she's making out with her with his best friend on the side of the highway. I will say it's true. Okay, controversial one to put ahead, Mrs. Saracen. What? <laughs> the senile grandmother. <laughs> this is on. This is this is unreal. You have lost any chance we've ever had of getting Michael B. Jordan on by saying that the senile grandmother's character was better than Vince Howard. Uh, honestly, I gotta admit, uh, Mac McGill, the racist coach. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're missing a few. You're missing like Luke Cafferty, if you like him better. He was the running back with Vince, who also played, I think, D back. I mean, you're missing Julie Taylor. I, I think Julie Taylor is a top three for me. I found her really annoying. Oh, I thought she was great. I, I will agree this. She is more important to the overall story arc of the TV show. But so she's a more significant character. But I mean, how can you not like a character who is a dork and doesn't date anyone and then dates Matt Saracen and then dumps him instantly for some Swedish guy that works a summer job as a 23-year-old at the local pool. Instant ditch. Because if we were doing characters I like, then there's people on here like Billy Riggins would be above Vince Howard. <laughs> this, is, this is unreal. <laughs> That's... But yeah, there's. It's true, actually. Looking through the full cast list. What about what about J.D. McCoy, the douchiest quarterback ever to set foot in Texas, and his stupid father, <laughs> who suddenly like got to like run the team after a week? Oh yeah, yeah. See, this is the other thing. I I mean, I know you you fairly recently rewatched Friday Night Lights, didn't you? It wasn't that long ago. Probably like, it was during COVID. Yeah. 
it's been a while since I've, so there's certain story arcs because they all kind of like they kind of blend into each other after a while of, wow, we got this new kid from some other school and we don't like him at first. And now he's our best player and we all like him. Like that felt like pretty much every season of Friday night lights versus like you had to have the combination of this kid's come from somewhere else. We all hate him. Like, Oh, it turns out we really like him after some moments made us bond. And then, Hey, there's this kid from our school who we think really sucks. Actually doesn't suck quite as much as we thought he did. Like those are the, the two storylines in, in every season. I got to say, Eddie, you've literally named every player, but Jason street. That tells me all I need to know about you. <laughs> well, Jason street. <laughs> it's one of the more interesting story arcs obviously but because he's what about his friend that does the the murder ball <laughs> what's that guy's name oh shit oh, like the, the like semi-bitter guy who tells him to suck it up and that his girlfriend's definitely yeah. gonna yeah i thought you were say told him to suck it off <laughs> <laughs> and he said i can't anyway you're a paraplegic it doesn't work but <laughs> what was that guy's name <laughs> uh the the issue with Jason Street is because it's only season one. I think his impact on the overall show is less significant. Although he's in for most of it. Yeah, he kind of reappears. He wheels his way in every once in a while, and you get this like update on his life. But you, oh, that's terrible. You that's so bad. Like you don't. I mean, he goes away to New York or whatever, and is what is he? Is becomes a sports agent? Isn't that what he does? Or, Something he like wants to be a sports agent, yeah. But I don't. I just feel like he's he's kind of a peripheral figure at that point. Whereas you you have the core cast because you're also trying to compare then because even Vince Howard, right? It's a fairly limited involvement. He's only I think two seasons. Yeah, or maybe that was three. That could have been three. So you're comparing him with like Tim Riggins, who's in it all. You know, like there's a handful of characters where it's like they're ever present versus, okay, this guy has a season or two. How do you rank? Like you can't, Tim Riggins has to Maybe be. He took Landry Clark, the dorkiest football player of all time. <laughs> I mean, he could barely make it as a kicker. I <laughs> didn't really even make it as a kicker. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Okay, look, I mean, Michael B. Jordan, biggest star to have come out of Friday Night Lights. Although. There's a few big ones, though. Yeah, including, I mean, Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons is is the second. He's the second biggest. Yeah, or Kyler Chandler. Kyle. (laughs) What did I say? Kyler. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I don't know why I said Kyler. (laughs) Extra in season two. I mean, Kyle Chandler, he had a mo- – I feel like Kyle Chandler's kind of disappeared. Like he had- No, he's still in a lot of stuff. He was in Bloodline. That was a huge show on Netflix for like three seasons. Yeah. I don't know. Jesse Plemons is – Jesse game Pl- comedy. Jesse Plemons is bigger. What about Taylor Kitsch? No, he – yeah, he had his moment in the sun and that disappeared pretty quickly. No, he just made a pretty good comeback. He was just in um, – what was the movie? The Terminalist. So he was in The Terminalist with Chris Pratt, and now they're doing a spinoff that he's the main character, I think, for Amazon. So he's going to have his own show. 
on Amazon. You're you're a huge optimist. I mean, Amazon's pretty big, though. <laughs> well, no, Amazon's huge. Yeah, you know what? Like, I might be a huge optimist, Eddie, but at least I'm not picking fucking uh, Buddy Garrity over, over Vince Howard on Friday Night Lights ranking list. Buddy Garrity deserves to, again, ever-present in all the seasons, has a greater involvement in several key storylines, and I think also gets credit for being one of the select few same actor, same character, movie to TV show. Well, there's only two. Yeah, and they both benefit from that. <laughs> Him and, and Tammy Taylor. The fact that you've got the same actor, I like that a lot. Obviously, you couldn't have done that with the players because it would have been weird to have like a 42-year-old playing a, a high school quarterback. But yeah, I don't... Not top twenty. I will. I will take that back because I, there's actually fewer key characters than I envisioned. <laughs> not top ten, though. I'll stand by not top ten. God, I can't believe that. That is blasphemy. I can't remember what's the key Vince Howard storyline. Well, it starts off that he's like gonna go to juvie if he can't get his act together and then that's who he like builds the team off of because i can remember when i look at all these other key players i can remember all of their like vince howard is the one i forget like i know what i know tim riggins the bad boy with a golden heart i get it difficult upbringing got that jason street paralyzed uh matt saracen not super talented, works hard, takes care of his, <laughs> takes care of his grandmother. Dad in the army is an asshole. Landry Clark, super nice guy. Mur- his dad was the biggest asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I, I, I get that they were trying to show like what what war and being like a lifetime in in the military can do to someone, but man, that guy was a prick. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he he's a candidate for worst dad in. TV show history in some respects, but Landry Clark, goofy dork, somehow ends up being the kicker, murders a guy and the TV show moves on from the fact that he murders someone really quickly. That one I remember. Smash Williams, super talented, big ego, does steroids. I remember that one. Really, it's it gets down to Vince Howard. I don't remember the key details of him. So. Oh, we're missing a huge annoying character as well. I can't believe this is the tangent we've gone off on. But uh, I forgot all about Becky. Becky comes in, I think, in season four when Tim Riggins hooks up with her mother. And then he ends up sleeping in their trailer in their backyard. And there's like this weird relationship between them. Oh, that is, that is, I forgot all about that one. And then she's also with, Oh, I think she's trying to. I think she's with Vince Howard too. It's so weird. Oh man, that was a weird character. I forgot about that one. It's a TV show that at some point I will revisit. Golden era of TV. Golden era of TV shows for me. And again, like I mostly watch them through DVDs. But yeah, I mean, literally, that was just. I was just watching CNN the other day, and they do like you know, like the two thousands. And it was like the gold, the one a whole episode, basically the golden age of television. And they were just running through these shows. And I was like, oh, my God, these are so good back then. 
No, and look, we we've got great TV on now. I mean, I at this it's different at this very moment. We probably don't, but in the last like three or four years, well, that's that's unarguably wrong. But (laughs) it's like the quality of television. Yes, the quality of television right now, it's different. It's a different type of finish. Finish that sentence because you haven't finished that sentence. The quality of television now is is of like a not even of the same caliber as it was back then. You think it's like the show Friday Night Lights when you rewatch it, you're like, man, this is some dumb shit, but it is amazingly entertaining. Whereas now shows are like very intricate, very detailed. The the writing on it is like three levels above any writing from like Friday Night Lights or even a show like Lost, which was one of the shows that people would say back in the day was like so well intertwined and everything in the first season or it's two, different yeah. it's more like television now is is more like longer format movies uh, but i would i would argue and we will discuss the new season of ted lasso at some point and they aren't the same show in terms of what their kind of goal is one's more of a comedy it's lighthearted and stuff but i don't think ted lasso is a better tv show than friday night lights how do you how what are you define how are you defining this? I don't think the writing is like superior. are you saying like acting? <laughs> well, uh, acting are you saying like writing, like acting, no. I mean, look at again, look at the list. We, we look at the actors who come out, it goes back to it, who came out of Friday Night Lights. And but pe- watch an episode, Eddie. Go back and watch like season three, look, episode seven look, of Friday Night Lights. <laughs> you know me. How I probably watch a YouTube clip of Friday Night Lights twice a month so i i get my i get my weekly dose of friday night lights like don't i go down the occasional friday night lights rabbit hole and i'll spend 45 minutes watching you know random youtube clips i agree with you it's not always the best acting ever and yeah some of the storylines are stupid and also i think the biggest fix you would have if you went back and made it again is the attention to detail from like the football perspective like the fact that they they literally will have like, and we discussed this on previous episodes, but they'll have like first down on their own 30. And then the next down is like second and 10 from their own 15. You know, and it's like, did we miss a series of like, what's happened? Yeah. Like this doesn't, none of this makes sense. And also the reliance on late game drama. But that's kind of, you know, it'd be boring to show a high school football team that won every game by 50 points. So I get it, but I I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's, and I also wouldn't put, I think Friday Night Lights is one of the best TV shows of that period, but I wouldn't put it in the kind of, it's the best TV show from an entertainment standpoint. It's not a best TV show from like, it's not, it's not going toe to toe with the wire. No, no. And and that's, and that's kind of what I'm saying. So like there were shows like the Sopranos and the wire back then and everyone, you know, would marvel at how well everything was done in the production Although, of those shows. Hot take. Some of the Sopranos, when you go back and watch it, is <laughs> some of the acting is pretty terrible. The sound effects that they have sometimes, like they have people hitting each other and it's like cartoonish, like pow, pow, pow <laughs> sound effects that they've thrown in on top. And then there's also, again, like some storylines that just didn't need to be there in the later seasons that they just kind yeah. of that you could trim the fat on a little bit, but I don't know. I don't feel like television now 
is better than television in 2006, 2007. I think the production has gotten much better. Yeah, I mean, technology's advanced. It's way easier. Like the cost of. Well, I think it's more than that. Like the right, like now there's like writing teams that are spending like months and years writing shows. Like think about how quickly a show returns. It doesn't return the next season. It takes multiple seasons because they have to go and write. Lazy and there's fucks. like, but That's... there's like months and months of of filming. Like how quickly do you think an episode of Friday Night Lights is filmed? Like some of those you watch, they probably did that in an afternoon. <laughs> Uh, no, but I th- I think there's an element there of I, I I think these are cushy jobs for writers. Like you start writing for Ted Lasso, and it's like that's a eighteen month writing period to write. Give me a fucking break to write. I think ten. There's you're, a, you're picking on Ted Lasso a lot here because you, you've got a good one to pick on. <laughs> well, I'm just I don't watch. I mean, at the moment, if I think of the TV shows I'm watching currently on television, The Last of Us, really, really enjoyed it. If it takes The Last of Us season two, two years to come out, we've got issues. That's not because their production values it are will, so high. It won't be out until 2025. Well, then that's a joke. That's not production. <laughs> that's just people are lazy and it's a cushy job. That's just. Oh, some, wow. That's just, I don't think that's, that's because just, people are lazy. The production team and the writing team get to be employed by The Last of Us then for a decade to make three seasons versus Sopranos, you were churning it out. I, I, I no, they weren't every year. No, but it wasn't every eighteen months. It kind of was. No, because there's it wasn't on this on TV for fourteen years. I I don't know. I think there's an element there where we kind of justify the slow return of television shows, which I think sometimes is hurt when they're not re- released kind of like episodically over the course of like week by week. Sometimes they're hurt by that where it's like they dump all of the shows on the same day and then like, well, we're not season two is not going to be out for a long time. It's like, well, you're not, you're not helped by the fact that previously you would have already been making season two midway through season one airing. That would have been, kind of you know, like you, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think people are lazier. And I do think it's... I don't think people are lazy. From what I've heard, like, I mean, you, you look at Game of Thrones and how long they would film for and that they would be on set for like 18 hours a day. I think that's being lazy. I think it's just there's so much more expectations that the quality has to be better in both Game of like, Thrones the writing kinda, and Game then of Thrones the filming. Is unique. And, Game of Thrones is kind of unique. And then the unique. production. You know, like there's so many different aspects now to it. Whereas, you know, like even the special effects component now, it takes no, okay. six months for them to put that back into shows. I don't buy that totally. I don't buy that totally. You can go and watch like the that's because cor- there's a shortage now. You can go and watch like it's the corridor YouTube channel, and they make you know pretty good. I mean, I'm not going to say it's TV or movie top quality special effects in a short period of time, but I do think there's there's people justifying their existence by being slow in what they do. And I do also think there's a lot of actors who like to want to talk about how grueling the process is in order to make them appear more sympathetic. Like, oh, you need to feel sorry for me. And those 14 hours days I worked on Game of Thrones, like no, 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 ignore the $15 million paycheck I got for three months work. No, 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 no. You need to talk. Let's focus. I had to stand in the cold in Ireland while someone else held me an umbrella, got me coffee, 
uh, like, you know, stuck my hands between their ass cheeks to keep them warm. Like whatever it is you had to do. And we have to focus on, oh my God, it's so, it's so hard and so challenging. But I, again, I think Game of Thrones- It's actually Northern Ireland. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. But I think as much as you may think I'm picking, like I was, I was going for the low hanging fruit by picking on Ted Lasso as the comparison, a show that I like. I think you're you're taking the low hanging fruit in Game of Thrones being the counter to well, of course it takes a long time because that is kind of unique, right? Like most TV shows are not Game of Thrones. Lord level. of the Rings. <laughs> you're, if we're just gonna stick to this genre of of TV show, <laughs> then yeah, that's not a fair comparison. Surprisingly enough, there wasn't a lot of special effects in The Wire. But that wasn't because they weren't <laughs> investing in special effects. Just didn't need it to show like a, a Baltimore police department. Weren't a lot of dragons, as it turns out. Well, speaking of uh, special effects, have you watched the new season of Mandalorian yet? I know you were on board previously. Are you off Mando? I'm not off Mando, but I haven't. I have not. I've yet to watch the. Okay. I, I have to admit, like. Obviously, sports take up a lot of my TV viewing time. And as I've mentioned previously, on, I've been running through Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I'm up to season 14. So that's been a, wow. it's been a fair amount of... Now, I will say there's wow. some episodes are not on Disney+, Plus that they've been taken down for controversial reasons and controversy yeah so like you will see a season sometimes where it's like oh seasons episodes six seven and eight are just not there and it's like okay i guess i i won't know what's going on but even then i gotta say i feel like that's a show that has tailed off slightly in, in a lot of ways but but a podcast i enjoy if we want to p- plug another podcast, I do actually quite quite like their podcast discussing the TV show, which is rare because most podcasts where they have the actors discussing the TV show, like the Office podcast, the Office Ladies, or whatever it is, I would rather have my ears literally set on fire than have to listen to an episode of that. The Always Sunny podcast is is actually pretty decent. Yeah, and there's just like something t- like. You made your money off of the show. Yes. Like, just move on. And I do think that's an. Imp- and, and I get. I'm sure. What's her like? Jenna Fisher. That's probably not why she's doing it. No. But the other ones. Yeah. That's why they're doing it. And you can't tell me otherwise. I also. No, we just want to reminisce about the greatest time of our lives. Yeah. And make money while doing it. <laughs> but then that's also kind of sad because that would be like if our podcast was about like us being in high school. If you see what I mean, like. The no, 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 let's keep making a podcast of the best times of our lives. I'm not saying that high school was, but you know, like there's that certain element of, okay, move on and do new things versus kind of dwell on the past. I think the other difference is because, yeah, Always Sunny is still an ongoing project. Listening to them talk about the show is more interesting because they also discuss like what they're, how that ties into like how the show's evolved. The other thing that's different is they are the creators of the show and the main writers of the show. So that's also different to listening. Like Ricky Gervais doing an office podcast with, I don't know, some components of the US show would be more interesting to me than 
just some actors who had parts and who, yes, maybe eventually spun themselves into some writing credits and like production, like or directed an episode, yeah, and like whatever the fuck that means. Like I've, you know, like that's one of those things people lose their minds of like an actor also directing. I feel like I could direct something tomorrow with absolutely. <laughs> Add it to the list. <laughs> I'm not saying I could be Steve. Never step foot, never step foot on a movie or TV set ever. But he could direct tomorrow. Add it to the fucking list. <laughs> I'm not saying I could be Steven Spielberg. I'm pretty sure I could direct an episode of The Office. I don't know. Assuming everyone else around me was entirely capable and knew what they were doing, like that, I'm not starting from scratch with the staff I have around me. I'm, I'm pretty sure I could manage it. Oh, man, this is so great. <laughs> and again, that's not me complimenting my own capabilities. I just don't have a lot of respect for being... Yeah, but it kind of is. It's, it's genuinely... <laughs> I think you could direct. Like, I know that's not supposed to be an insult to you, what I think of your capabilities. <laughs> oh, thanks. Even I could direct it? Oh, thanks, Eddie. I'm just saying I don't think being a director of The Office or like is some incredible achievement. I, I think I could do a single episode and you'd, you'd probably notice. You'd probably notice, but I don't think you'd be like, well, this show's gone down the shitter really fast. You'd be like, oh, that was some a weird. Yeah, not any more than the last season went down the shitter anyway. Yeah, I could have handled that better. All right. Well, with another thing on Eddie's I could easily do list, I think we call it a day. <laughs> Eddie, is this, can we cut, Eddie? Is this the. As director, are we allowed to cut now? Well, I, hey, I, I have more director involvement in the podcast than you do, so I, we can one day we can do the rankings. Speaking of ranking Friday Night Lights players, we can do a rankings of the stuff I think I could easily do, and I'll let you <laughs> judge how realistic the different things that have that have been mentioned on the podcast so far are. <laughs> Great, can't wait. <laughs> Alright, talk to you later. See ya. Cheerio.